Good. Well, I wonder uh, what what is the most common ending to a children's book? What comes to mind? What do we think is the most common ending? Or the head one. Yes, or maybe I should clarify a bit more. What, what do we think is most... Uh, this is a rhetorical question. What do we think is uh, the most... Uh, what do we think is the most common ending to a story that children themselves write? What do you think it would be? I, I don't know if it's my poor uh, writing ability, but I suspect when I was a kid, it was probably this phrase, and they all lived happily ever after. And in some ways, the last three lines that we've been looking at in the Apostles' Creed this morning... Uh, could fairly be summarised this way. That's the effect that they want to give us to us. And So what we've seen uh, before in the Creed, all the statements that we've seen before, they've all been statements of truth. And yet these last three lines are going to be statements of implication. What are the implications of the truths that we've heard before? The author suggests what we'll be covering this morning, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, another rhetorical question. Um, I wonder if someone were to ask you uh, to summarise the Christian gospel into one phrase, what would it be? What would you go for? Well, we see Luke in his gospel and also in the book of Acts that he wrote. uh, He uses the words, the forgiveness of sins, as shorthand for the gospel. And I think that's very likely what the creed is doing here. It talks about the forgiveness of sins. It's this shorthand for the gospel. Acts 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's think uh, a little bit more for a minute about what, what actually is um, the forgiveness of sins. What do we mean by that? And as we try and unpack this we'll, we'll first think about I uh, think a little briefly about what actually is sin well we first can say that that sin separates us from God Isaiah 59 verses 1 to 3 behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. What's this telling us? It's telling us that sinful man cannot approach a holy God. If you know anything about uh, the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, there was this separation that was, was necessary. The people couldn't just freely come into God's presence. And even there was this place, the most holy room, as many of you will know, and there was a curtain, and only the, uh, the great high priest could go in, and only once a year, sin creates this separation between God and man. Uh, further, Ephesians 2.3 uh, describes us before we were uh, believers, that we were children of wrath because of our trespasses and sins. It goes even further, it says that we're following the devil I think I hope that you can hope that we can see, therefore, that the seriousness of sin, uh, therefore, follows that sin justly deserves a punishment. Uh, God can't just brush it to one side. Well, it, it, if that's sin, what about forgiveness? How how are our sins forgiven? 
or with forgiveness, that punishment that our sins deserve is paid by another. It's known as a, a fancy phrase, it's called penal substitution, that Jesus took the punishment for our sins. Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he, that's Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, that's punishment, that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And therefore, I, I want to say that the forgiveness of sins is, it is the grounds, you might say, the grounds from which other gospel doctrines uh, we can draw out. It's the grounds for justification and adoption and sanctification. And what we'll be seeing right at the end of our session is the grounds also for glorification, eternal life. So because of the forgiveness of sins that we see in the Apostles' Creed, we are free from accusation. We can be sure of Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it gives us uh, confidence, doesn't it? That if our sin is dealt with, our Christian hope, our future Christian hope is certain. Right, we've got a short discussion now. We've got a couple of questions down on your sheet. Why don't, in tables, sit down and discuss that. Maybe one person can take the lead. And uh, we'll give you four or five minutes for that. All right, sorry it was so short. Um, maybe make that your last point. Okay, so having thought about forgiveness of sins, this is a, a present blessing. We're now going to turn um, to uh, the not yet blessings. We had the, the present blessings and now the not yet blessings. So what do I mean by not yet? Well, it's the last two lines of the Apostles' Creed. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Uh, but understanding the forgiveness of sins is... It is so important to properly understand these next two are, are, what, about our eternal hope. Uh, that with resurrection bodies, we'll be without sin and its blemishes and also life everlasting. A world without the impact, the effects of sins. So we'll start by uh, addressing the first. Uh, that's the resurrection of the body. And we might think, I think, we might think, is this really that important? The writers could have picked three implications for all the truths that we've seen before, and they went for this. might find it a bit strange. But I suspect uh, Paul, uh, certainly, and many others, would, 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 would stick with the, the authors, would agree with them. Uh, Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, he went as far to say that without this truth for the resurrection of the body, our faith is worthless. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4. 13 to 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then your faith is in vain. But there is a resurrection from the dead. Christ is raised. We saw just a few weeks ago in the, in the creeds. The third day he rose again. We can be confident then, since Christ has been raised, therefore we will be too. Our faith is not in vain. But it does still leave the question, what kind of body will we have when we're raised? Will we have a physical body at all? 
or will we just be floating spirits in the air? I think it's fair to say there's some confusion in the, in the Catholic Church, the small c, universal church, and possibly a lack of teaching as well. This idea of, of what will it be like when we die, it's influenced by lots of things. You know, cartoons, movies, or medieval art. If we, if we were to follow these, we would be floating spirits in the air, everything would be bright white or bright gold, and we'd have to learn to play the harp. Um, but this isn't our hope, friends, this isn't our hope. Our hope is a physical, bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 again, verses 42 to 43. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. We all know that our our bodies here are weak. Uh, But at the resurrection of the dead, they will be raised in power. What does that look like? Well, we don't especially know. As a kid, I always hoped when I go to heaven that I'd be, I'd be able to fly like an eagle, fly through the sky. I'm not, sure if we can, uh, I'm not sure if we can be confident about that. What does it mean we'll have powerful bodies? I'm not sure. But we know that our bodies will be powerful, they'll be glorious, and they'll be imperishable. We can't die. And it's essential that we keep this final... Uh, this final hope in view, our final bodily hope. Um, But that considered, though a physical bodily resurrection is our final hope, it's likely not our immediate hope. For what we experience directly after we die is not what we'll experience when Christ returns to the earth. And here it's uh, important to distinguish, and we'll be spending time unpacking this, to distinguish between our two future states. Firstly, heaven... And secondly, the new heaven and the new earth. So firstly, uh, heaven. We'll think about a a few notes uh, about heaven that we see from scripture. A lot of them are are down on your sheet. I'll just go through them. Well, heaven refers to everything above and beyond the earth. So it's a part of God's creation. Everything beyond the globe that we know, the stars and the skies. Everything in creation. It's also where scripture says where God himself dwells. Deuteronomy 4, Matthew 6. And also it's where Jesus will be revealed at at the end of history. Where Jesus will be revealed in Thessalonians. Uh, And heaven is is also associated with our hope, our hope here and now. Matthew 6 is is the place of our treasure. Uh, Philippians 3.20 goes as far to say that we are citizens of heaven. It's where our, our true citizenship is. Also our inheritance, 1 Peter 1. And it's where our hope is laid up. This heaven is, is as believers. This is where we, we will go when we die. And there we will be with the Lord Jesus. And Philippians 1.23 goes as far to say it is better by far than being here on earth. Better by far. And while all this is true, it is indeed a glorious place where we'll be with the Lord Jesus, full of hope and joy and treasures It's not our final destination. It's not our final hope where we'll receive our resurrected bodies. But of course, this this does raise a a valid question. Once we die here on earth, um, our our bodies are going to remain in the ground, aren't they? They're going to rot. 
And if we'll only receive our resurrection bodies when Christ returns, uh, what state are we going to be in heaven? Frankly, again, scripture doesn't have a, a whole lot to say. We know that we'll have a conscious existence uh, for we'll, we'll worship God, Revelation 7. We'll worship God in heaven. And yet at the same time, there, there will be a longing. We'll be longing for the future state that we'll talk about in a moment. It's not that uh, as Christians, we'll just be asleep when we die until Christ returns. It's not that at all. Uh, we might uh, describe it as, as like being on uh, the most glorious first-class suite on an aeroplane. Amazing, beautiful. Uh, but we'll be awaiting an even better destination. We'll be going somewhere. That's not the final hope. Therefore, heaven is, is soul, it's not body. One author put it, heaven is a glorious interlude before the end, but it is not our final destination. So as we think about our final hope, uh, we are to look beyond heaven. 2 Peter 3.13 We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth. Well, what, what, does, what does Peter mean? Uh, it's, it's not as though somehow the heavens are going to absorb the earth and it's all going to be like that or, or vice versa. That the, the earth will somehow... Uh, absorb the heavens uh, but, but rather that the earth is going to be somehow transformed uh, that, that heaven will become earthly and earth become heavenly so eternal life here is the new heaven and the new earth and this is where we'll, we'll live physically in our resurrected bodies this is the life everlasting this last phrase in the Apostles Creed this is what it's affirming uh, and this reality of the new heavens and the new earth we see in the Bible in the Old Testament, first of all, in Isaiah 65 to 66. A place where, verse 18 of 60, uh, chapter 65, a place where past troubles will be forgotten. The troubles that we've had here on earth will be forgotten. And Isaiah uh, reports God's promise more. Um, this is down on your sheet, uh, Isaiah 65, 17 to 19. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So the new heaven and the new earth is going to be a place of the powerful rule of the Lord where our joy will be intense and, and unrestrained. There's no restraint to the joy we'll experience. And Revelation 21 and 22 unpacks uh, packs these truths further right at the end of our Bible. Uh, John sees a new vision, a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we'll turn to Revelation 21. And I'll be reading from verse 1 in a moment. <coughs> Okay, so Revelation 21, start of verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their gods. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. It continues, uh, read a few verses from the start of, of chapter 22, so starting from verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This vision, it brings back the importance of what we spoke about on forgiveness, doesn't it? Uh, firstly, there's no longer this necessary separation between God and man. But we will walk perfectly with the Lord Jesus. Uh, and secondly, there'll be no presence of any of the destruction that sin brings. 21.4 again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The results of the fall and sin will, will no longer taint our bodies or circumstances. We will be completely free to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, very quickly, before we have a discussion, I just want to bring out two implications of these, of these truths. Uh, truly, I could have pulled out any number, but here's a couple. Uh, firstly, I, I think there's a danger as we, we hear this stuff. We, we kind of perceive it to be it's, it's that, that afterlife stuff, uh, something for long in the future. It just seems so distant uh, to most of us, I think. And we can be so, become so quickly like the world, can't we? We're, we're focused on the here and now. We want comfort. We want ease. We want wealth. And all that eternal stuff, I'll think about that when I'm older. But this inexpressibly joy-filled and sinless eternity is each of our hopes. We'd be so foolish if we were consumed by the things of, of this world, our own comfort and ease, when this glorious eternity awaits us. Yeah, I think, therefore, let, let's not build our lives here as though it were our eternal home. If we were, we'd be like the, the little boy on the seaside who spends all day building the most glorious sandcastle. He, you know, he might have a moat built around it, big walls and cannons. But when the tide comes back up, it will be utterly destroyed. It's worth flagging. This isn't to say that our, our works here don't have significance, or even that they don't have eternal significance. Indeed, God calls us to many things. He calls us, calls us to fill and subdue the world. And yet, as Hebrews 12, 27 points out, 
much of creation will be shaken, will be completely destroyed. So we're building our lives with eternity in perspective. Uh, And more briefly, the second implication, uh, I think, is of of these truths of the eternal life, is the, the outlook that it grants us in all circumstances, even in suffering. I'm sure each of us can testify there's good times in life and there's times of, of real darkness, of real difficulty. And when, when life is, is dark like that, we want to know that things will get better, whether it's bereavements or illness or mental health, depression. Yeah, if this, if this life and this world more specifically, if that's all that we had, we couldn't say that with certainty, that life was going to get better. But thanks be to God that we can say life will get better. One day all tears are going to be wiped away. And even, I think even in seasons of joy, we can be quick to forget uh, this eternal life that awaits, can't we? Uh, Unless your mind is is prone to optimism, and I suspect that's not true for most of us. We hear a voice even in the good times, don't we? Things are only going to get worse. You're not going to be happy forever. And what we can say to that is, yeah, things might get worse while we're here on earth. Things, things might not get better. But again, there is a day where we will be with our Lord Jesus forever. A day with glorious new bodies where we can say by experience, it is well with my soul. Right, we'll have a few moments uh, for discussion. Yeah, we've got a little bit of time. So seven or eight minutes for discussion and then I'll close us in prayer.